Many of you will be familiar with the practice of giving uh, what people call trigger warnings before speeches or media presentations that are made. You might know this practice. It's a trigger warning is given when you warn the audience that what you're going about to talk about may trigger negative feelings or memories in the people that are listening. Uh, and that's similar to kind of the content warnings you get before TV shows to tell you what to expect. Um, and so today our topic from Jer Jeremiah takes us, as you've heard, into quite a difficult place uh, and through the issue of God's judgment and what that means. And that's a topic that I know can uh, trigger people who have had negative experiences over the years with this particular area. So uh, this is something we're thinking about. Um, when I introduced this uh, book of Jeremiah a couple of weeks ago, I said that this was uh, a painful book in the Bible and quite a sad one. Uh, and in many respects, our passage today is where we find uh, the deepest expression of Jeremiah's pain in any of the passages that we're going to be looking at as we go through this book, this term. So just to acknowledge today uh, that this is a difficult topic. It's the topic is the judgment of God, and it's good to be aware of what that means for you and what it might bring up for you as you think about it today. Um, judgment is one of the overriding themes of the book of Jeremiah, though. We can't get away from it. Um, as we saw in chapter 1, Jeremiah was called as a prophet and his particular calling was to pronounce a word of judgment against his nation, the nation of Judah, and on the nations around him at a time that was of great turmoil and destruction in their history. Uh, Jeremiah was the last major prophet in the nation of Judah before uh, this nation and the city of Jerusalem was uh, fell to the Babylonian armies in 587 BC and the people were taken away into exile. And for these people of God then, Jeremiah was an interpreter for them of this terrible experience in their time and what did it mean for them? And for us today, I think as Christians, we're modern people, Jeremiah still provides us with an example and a pattern of what does it mean to actually encounter God and to hear him speak? in very difficult times, times when our circumstances are in decline, when we're in crisis and things seem to go and be going very badly. And that's an important part of our faith, actually, even though it's a painful one to consider. And so that's the kind of situation Jeremiah is speaking in. And out of that situation comes this word of judgment that we just read in Jeremiah chapter 4. Now, judgment is not, I think, a very popular biblical theme in our culture at the moment. And this kind of language that we just heard in the Old Testament uh, is something that a lot of people dislike a great deal. I think you might be some of them. <laughs> um, it's often linked in the popular mind to uh, the worst and the least attractive elements of the church. So the kind of people that are symbols for us of what it means to be a nasty, judgmental, religious believer, the kind of people that we don't like. And we might think, for instance, of some of the rather obnoxious Christian leaders that we see in the United States who get up in the media after there's been an earthquake or a hurricane somewhere and claim that these things that have happened are punishments from God for things that they don't like that are going on in their country. You know, the president's made a bad decision or there's a law that's been passed that we don't like and this is a punishment from God. Um, and generally, I think we don't actually like judgment in our culture and or people who practice judgment or give judgment on others. I think that's a bit of a theme. And in fact, to be called judgmental is one of the worst insults that you can give someone in our culture. Uh, no one wants to be judgmental. You know, we don't take that on ourselves as a, even a badge of pride. Um, you know, and even people who don't have faith in Jesus will still regularly quote some of his words in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, where he says, judge not or you will be judged. We see that a lot. 
And then those words are not usually used correctly when they're quoted, but they express a mood that people have. Um, we don't like judgment, we don't want to be judged, and we don't want to be seen as people who judge others. And many people, for that reason, have the desire to cut the idea of judgment out of the Bible altogether, or not to read about it, or not to talk about it. But judgment is actually an integral part of this book of Jeremiah and many of the prophets, and of the whole Bible, in fact. And it's actually a key strand in the Christian faith in general. It's not easy to cut it out. So today, as we look at Jeremiah, I want us to consider again God's judgment and what does it mean? Because I believe that actually following through the idea of God's judgment and what it means in a bit more depth than we usually do actually can open up for us, funnily enough, a path towards appreciating God's love more deeply and understanding his grace in a much deeper way than we sometimes do. And as we see in Jeremiah, as we'll go through, the idea and the, of God's judgment is actually one of the ways that people like Jeremiah and us can begin to open up a, a new story for ourselves of restoration um, and healing in bad times. And that's the big story of redemption that we see in the book of Jeremiah as we go through it. So the idea of God's judgment, I think, is worth visiting again if it's something that you might have written off in, uh, in the past. And it might just be something that unlocks a new sort of cycle of growth in our own life or our life as a community. But to get to that point, I hope, we probably need to go through some of the things that Jeremiah says in this pa passage, uh, this particular passage on judgment, uh, to see what Jeremiah was actually saying to the people of his time when he spoke this way, as we read. So when Jeremiah talks about God's judgment on Judah, he has actually a clear set of messages, and there's a sort of straightforward logic to it. I think that's the next slide. Thanks, Charles. Um, firstly, what he's saying is there's a set of standards that the people of God are actually supposed to be following in their behaviour and the way they relate to God and others. And so there's a kind of agreement, or which we call a covenant, between God and his people about how they should be living. And the best known summary of that agreement for us is when we, the Ten Commandments. It's actually an agreement between God and his people about how they're going to live. So they have this agreement with God. Um, but the reality is, secondly, that they're not actually living up to their covenant, that, that they're failing. Uh, and last week Jerome spoke to us about the concerns that Jeremiah had about his nation, which were that they were embracing idolatry or the worship of other gods apart from their true God. And they were also embracing a practice of injustice, so a corrupt way of living, oppressing each other. And that behaviour generates a mindset. It sort of locks you into a particular way of living. It's where Jerome talked about the stupidity and the foolishness that we find ourselves caught up in in that kind of behaviour. And they can't find a way out of it. And so as Jeremiah says in chapter 4, verse 22, we read, God is saying, you know, my people are fools. They don't know me. They're senseless children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil and they don't know how to do good. They have failed to live the way that God asked them to. So then, finally, as a result of this, Jeremiah says, this kind, the kind of the energy or the way that God acts towards them is going to change and they're going to experience it differently. So God had promised, I will bless you if you trust me, if you keep in my commands. But there was always the other side of that, that there are consequences for failure. And he, so Jeremiah says, you know, the wind of God's presence is going to blow to you, but it's going to be different. No longer is it going to bring you blessings and good things as it has in the past. So it won't be like a lovely, refreshing breeze or a cool change that brings the rain that you desire. Uh, it will become instead like a blasting, scorching wind coming out of the desert, which is going to wither your crops and blow away everything. 
And so the wind of God for Jeremiah, it's a symbol, you know, that there's going to be consequences for their behaviour. And in this case, the, the practical outworking of it is, he says, there's going to be a military attack against them by the people of the north, the armies of Babylon. They're going to come down and sweep into them and destroy their nation. It's the wind of God. And Jeremiah says, this is a wind too strong for you to resist. And of course, we read finally how upset Jeremiah is to actually be having to say this. You know, we read, oh, my anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain, the agony of my heart. My heart pounds within me, I can't keep silent. For I've heard the sound of the trumpet, he says, I've heard the battle cry. This is a message of pain for him. But it's a mess, so it's a message of judgment, and you can see it has these steps into it, from the covenant with God that they had to the breaking of that covenant and the consequences for that. And that's actually a standard description of judgment in the Old Testament. There's a, actually, you can see the same kind of pattern that happens in a lot of the other prophets, that when they describe what's going on between God and his people. So, again, this reading and the message that I've just described in it, I think is actually might sound to us as we hear it quite perhaps offensive or quite difficult for us to take in and to accept. Um, because this picture of God and the way that he acts in this passage doesn't really square with the general way that we talk about God as Christians, does it? We talk about God as a God of love a God of mercy, a God of forgiveness. Uh, and Jeremiah, but though, is speaking quite straightforwardly about punishment, about anger, about God's wrath, about dire consequences from arousing a negative response from the Lord. And I don't like reading about that. I don't know about you. It doesn't feel like God to me. Um, and it doesn't sound like what my impression of Jesus has been and what he said. But it is here in the Bible, isn't it? And it's integral to the overall message that the Bible has. And so what do we do with that? Do we cut it out? So I think for us to understand what this meant for Jeremiah, we need to go a bit deeper, perhaps, beneath the surface and our perhaps superficial engagement with the idea of judgment and the, the like or dislike we have of it on the surface. Uh, and the first thing to think about would be, again, what, what is Jeremiah actually saying? What is his message really to these people? I mentioned, you know, when we hear people talking about God's judgment, we kind of identify it with people who say very simple things like, something bad has happened because of something that they see as the bad behaviour that people are doing. So, you know, my nation is behaving immorally, therefore God has sent a hurricane to punish you. Um, arguing that it's a retribution that God makes for breaking a rule that he's given. And that's not correct, I think. And when we looked at the book of Job, we re recently we saw that the biblical writers know and argue strongly that this is too simplistic a way of thinking of God's action and his character. So that's not what I believe prophets like Jeremiah are saying when they talk about judgment, that God is just, you've done something bad and God's punishing you. Uh, what Jeremiah, I think, is actually speaking about is a complex set of issues that happen in the life of a community. Um, in a nation, um, that come from a lack of integrity in that community and their lack of adherence to sort of the fundamental principles of God's law. So the people of God, of Israel and Judah, they were called to live as a community according to two basic principles. So we can find those in the law, books of the law, like Deuteronomy and Leviticus. There's lots of laws, but Jesus, we know, summed them up in one way, uh, that the two, God has two great laws for us. Love God and love your neighbour as yourself. So love God and love your neighbour as yourself. And those two principles are supposed to be the kind of the foundation and the anchors of a healthy community where people experience the blessing of God. 
And what Jeremiah and the other prophets do is they point out to their people that they've stopped living according to those principles. And therefore, they have demolished the foundation of their society under God. Um, and that can be done in two ways, because there's two commandments. So either, firstly, you either, you either stop loving God as you should, which, as we saw last week, is the problem of idolatry, putting other things in God's place. And the result of that is you stop loving your neighbour, because your priorities are not the priorities of God, and you treat people badly because of it. So injustice creeps into society. Or you can go the other way. Firstly, you, you stop loving your neighbour because you want to exploit them for some reason. Um, and then this hardens your heart towards God because you don't love and worship him the way you should and you know that you're not doing the right thing. So Jeremiah would say, I think, the result of those issues is fundamentally that society starts to go in a downward spiral of corruption and decline and because it's lost its heart. And when the nation then reaches the bottom of this downward spiral, and it took Judah hundreds of years, uh, it encounters the consequences of that, which are usually that it is destroyed or falls apart, either from the outside, someone comes and conquers it, or from the inside, it falls apart, like a civil war or just a disintegration of society. And that's, I think, what judgment in the Bible is actually about. So it's about the cumulative consequences of a fundamental failure in the integrity of our lives. And the end result of that is destruction. Things fall apart. Things break up. It's like, you know, you pull on a loose thread on a piece of clothing and eventually the whole thing's gone over time. And what the prophets do, like Jeremiah, is to say this is not just a random thing. This is actually part of the way God has set up the universe. Um, it's not possible for us to prop up forever uh, a community that is unjust or that is idolatrous and that has no integrity. In the end, it will crash down and that will be God's judgment against it. Now, that's a pattern that Jeremiah and his friends, as the other prophets, also learned to apply to the world as a whole. So they looked and they saw the empires of the world around them had this pattern as well, that they would rise and gain in power, then their own corruption would set in and they would fall and decline. And that was God's judgment against them. In our last uh, sermon in this series, we'll see more about that bigger issue as well, this big picture of judgment. So I think that's what Jeremiah is actually talking about when he talks about the God's judgment coming. And I think what, in essence, we can take away from this is that judgment in the Bible is not finally or really about punishment. It is about truth. Judgment is about truth. So when God's judgment is declared on a nation of people or on individuals like us, it's a statement about the true state of their heart and the consequences that will come from their lack of integrity. And yes, they may experience pain, and they often will as a result of their behaviour, but the judgment itself is actually just the revelation of the true opinion that God has of what's been going on. It's like a verdict of the court. Guilty, not guilty. It's a revelation of what is true. And so to speak about God's judgment is just another way to say, well, God judges because God is the truth. And to be, to be the truth, to be what is real, is also to be good. So to say that God exercises his judgment is to say God is truly good. Because evil is always exposed by the presence of God and things that are not the way they should be. And that's why judgment is at the heart of the message of the Bible. Because to believe that God judges is to hold firmly also to the belief that God is good. And there is hope for the world and for those who trust in this good God. 
So in Jeremiah's view, I think, if we don't believe that God will judge us, we can't believe that he wants to save us. Because then, if he doesn't, he would be leaving us to wallow in our evil and decline forever. There would be no way back once we start to go down. Uh, And so, yes, it's painful, isn't it, to hear about judgment, to receive it, as Jeremiah laments. But it's a necessary mercy in the Bible that opens up a new path to experience God's goodness and love again. C.S. Lewis says it very well in his book, Mere Christianity. He talks about this issue. He says, this is the fix we are in, human race. If the universe is not governed by an absolute goodness, then all our efforts are in the long run hopeless. But if it is, then we are making ourselves enemies to that goodness every day. And we're not in the least likely to do any better tomorrow. And so our case is hopeless again. We cannot do without it and we cannot do with it. God is the only comfort. He is also the supreme terror. The thing we most need and the thing we most want to hide from. He is our only possible ally and we have made ourselves his enemies. And he goes on to say, some people talk as if meeting the gaze of absolute goodness would be fun. They need to think again. They are still only playing with religion. And with that, I think, understanding of judgment as truth, I think we're ready to take a turn and apply this idea of God's judgment to ourselves and to our lives today. Uh, Because what happened to Judah and the people in Jeremiah's time was just an example of how God's judgment plays out in the life of a, a nation and a community. Now, unfortunately, this is a very sensitive and it's a complicated area and there's a lot of genuine pain and trauma associated with talking about judgment, I know, for this reason that people have often abused the idea of the judgment of God in order to control people and to manipulate them and manipulate people in their families or people in churches or in the, in the society at large. And so we often people want to make God the enforcer of our own opinions, and we do that on others. And because of this, I know there are many people who has, have a predominant image of God as a kind of angry dad, you know? Um, someone who is abusive and capricious, who's always watching you to make sure you're not doing the wrong thing, and if you do, you're going to get punished. Many people believe that that is what God is like because it's what they've been told. And if you believe that picture of God, there's really only two things you can do. You can either submit to that in fear and try to everything that you can think of to make sure that he's pleased with you and doesn't punish you. Or you can rebel against that and say, I don't accept you. I don't accept you. And that's actually a more healthy thing to do, I think. But it means that there are lots of people around there who hate God because this is what they think he is like. And you may know people who feel that way. So that's not something I want to perpetuate, and I don't think the Bible is about that, because that way of talking about God is just a projection of our own desire to control people and to punish them for things we don't like. It's nothing to do with what God is like and what his judgment actually means. Because the judgment of God in the end is really just the relentless and the clear revelation to us of the real truth about ourselves of what is really going on in our hearts and the real consequences that has for us, the way we behave. And that judgment of God is made clear, and as Christians we believe the Holy Spirit brings it to us, for the purpose of bringing change and healing and restoration to us. Again, I think we should always say, when we talk about God as Christians, we need to talk about Jesus and how did he express the character of God. So what did Jesus say and what did he do about judgment? 
despite the popular view that Jesus was always, you know, um, nice, he did actually talk a lot about judgment and had a lot to say about this topic. Uh, firstly, I think Jesus would strongly affirm, and he did, for his people, that there was a, a real problem in us and in the world, something that needs to be corrected. You know, we have a failure to love God and to love others as we should. This is a real problem. And that applies to everyone, without exception. And for Jesus, I think, and in his teaching, he would say, the sooner we accept that and understand it, the better for us and the better we will go. And that's why, one reason why Jesus was so approving and familiar with, with obvious and down-and-out sinners and why he spent so much time with them. And that's why he said these people are closest to the kingdom of God because they were more likely to acknowledge the fact that they need God in their life and to accept the truth of what was going on for them. They weren't hiding anymore. As we read in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verse 29 to 32, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So for Jesus, sin and failure, it's not actually an ultimately a matter for punishment, but it's a matter for him to heal. Those who need to hear a word of judgment against them are the people like the Pharisees who don't believe they need it. For those who don't understand that they're sick and that they need these help. Those who know they're sick and have acknowledged that what they hear is a message of grace and mercy from him because they're ready to hear it. So Jesus knew that we had a problem that needs to be healed. And secondly, Jesus knew that this reality of God's judgment that we, is more than we can bear. To hear it and to really confront the image of God in our, in our midst as God sees us, it would be, as Jeremiah says, a wind that's too strong for us. It would destroy us to know what we really are like. So that's why the cross is a symbol for us of what God does and how he deals with sin because the cross is a sign of judgment against sin but it's also a sign of God dealing with that judgment for us on our behalf the cross shows yes the whole world is under God's judgment to the point that we are so corrupt that we would kill the son of God in, his, in our midst rather than acknowledge the truth that he brought we would rather do that but the on the cross, Jesus has also taken on himself that judgment on our behalf. So the, at this point, which is the ultimate revelation of our shame, our failure, um, as people and as a, as a world, Jesus is there and he bears that for us and with us so that the judgment of God does not destroy us. In fact, it, because of him, it purifies us. He gives a new nature, a new life to people who trust in him. And that's very important, I think, for our sort of our heart understanding when we, th we think about judgment and we, how we experience it. Um, because the problem we have with judgment is when we think, you know, God's up there. He's above us and he's just raining down judgment fire on the world and on us. That's, that's what God's judgment means. No, that is not true. God is actually with us. God is in us. And his judgment, if we let it work in us and around us, is actually a steady and gentle and constant purification of our hearts and our lives when we acknowledge the truth of who we are and what we are and also of what we are meant to be because that's a part of the truth too. 
Because on the cross, Jesus shows that judgment actually leads to new life, to the resurrection after it. There's a beautiful image of this in the book of Revelation, where John records a vision of Jesus speaking to the churches of his day. And in one of those messages, he speaks about those who have gone through a time of God's judgment and purification. He says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So I think I just want to focus on the white stone for a minute because this stone, you know, with its new name, I think is a symbol of the true self that God is offering us, which comes through the judgment and the victory over sin that God brings. Jesus says to us on the basis of this, I know who you really are. This is it. So as I said, judgment is truth, and this is a judgment, isn't it, that says, I know who you really are and, I want, and who you were made to be, and I will give that to you. God reveals to us our sin, therefore, and our failures for the purpose of calling us to come to him to be healed and to be set free from those things, to be who we are supposed to be. Because the real truth about us isn't how sinful we are. The real truth about us is our true name and our true nature in God's plan, um, which will be revealed after the judgment. And so I think as Jeremiah says, the judgment of God is necessary, even though it's very painful. And I think Jeremiah shows us the way we should feel about judgment. It's a deep sense of pain and sadness that it's necessary for us and for others to go through this experience when we do. And I think there's no place in Christian discipleship for a feeling of smugness or joy when we see people being judged or experiencing this in their life. Um, because, as Jesus would say, I think we should have our hands full with our own repentance and our own experience of God's um, truth. Jesus did say, do not judge. But the reason for that is because he says, you're supposed to be paying attention to yourself. So we do read on in Matthew 7, he does say, do not be judged or you, will not be, you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Can I have the next slide, please? Charles, I forgot to put that note for you. So, and he says in that passage, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, I think this is so important for us in judgment. You know, because we hear all the time, you know, every day, judgments that we make and others make about other people, about their life, about their spiritual state, about their opinions, about the way they live. And we make those judgments ourselves, and I'm as guilty in this regard as anyone here. Um, but the reality is that when we judge people, we judge them unjustly, Jesus says usually, for several reasons. Firstly, you know, we actually very seldom know what's going on in other people's lives in reality, um, and our information is quite inadequate. Uh, there's a good saying that I like, which is, you know, it says something like, you know, be kind to everyone because everyone is fighting a great battle. You know, some people who look to us like they're failures are actually winning a battle every day just to get out of the bed, you know. Um, and some of us who look like we're doing great are just losing every battle that, got, you know, <laughs> that we're sort of getting by. Um, and anyways, Jesus said our judgments are flawed at the deepest level anyway because of our own need for repentance in the plank in our eye. We can't actually see. We are blind to others. So we don't judge others, Jesus says, if, and if we do, you will find yourself being judged by them. That's what it means when he says don't judge or you will be judged. We'll get into a nice judgment battle. And does that kind of judgment heal anyone? 
I treasure a saying on this issue by a Russian Christian leader, a man from, na from the 19th century named Seraphim of Serov, and he's, he encourages Christians saying, you cannot be too gentle, too kind. Shun even to appear harsh in your treatment of each other. Joy, radiant joy, streams from the face of him who gives and kindles joy in the heart of him who receives. All condemnation is from the devil. Never condemn each other. We condemn others only because we shun knowing ourselves. So we're not the judges of each other, and in a bigger sense, Christians are not the judges of the world either. Christians are supposed to lead the judgment and retribution, punishment of the world to God, even in the worst circumstances. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So I think Jeremiah is a help to us in these circumstances. You know, he's a teacher of the reality of what God's judgment is. You know, so if we look around at the world and we go, God, do you know how bad things are? Are you going to do anything? Jeremiah says, yes, God does know, and yes, he will. Judgment is coming. And it's a wind that's too strong for anyone or anything to stand up against. Nothing bad lasts forever. But in the midst of that, Jeremiah also reminds us that God's purposes are to bring us through the judgment into a new way of life. And so we can start that new life every day. We can live that way now and be prepared for it when it comes and confident that Jesus is actually the refuge of all of us in the judgment. And he has given us the promise we're going to receive that white stone one day with our new name on it after we have heard the truth about who we really are. And that's why, as we're going to do in a minute, we confess our sins. We re repent. We bring them to God confident in his forgiveness and his mercy. So let's pray as we think about that today. Lord, as we look at the world and in, our, in ourselves, we know that there are many things that are not the way they should be. And that's something we often want to hide from and to run away because it is too hard to, to grasp and to bear. And we pray that with your mercy and grace, we would be able to bear a vision of ourselves as we are, even a little bit, so that we can seek your grace as well. And we pray that our hearts towards each other and towards the world would be full of your mercy and grace, seeking forgiveness, restoration for all those in, that we come into contact with. So we pray that your judgment would be done in your own time and that through it we would receive your healing and restoration. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.